What is up people, Jean-Carlos here with the Total Body Training Podcast and I am with Janet, Janet Trevino. Say hey Janet. Hey y'all. And uh, Janet is a cuddle coach, a cuddle specialist. Platonic touch specialist. There we go. Professional cuddler, <laughs> fill in the blank. Yeah, uh, she does that thing. And today we're gonna be talking all about what that means. I knew about, I'd heard about Janet a while ago and then I listened to her TED talk and I really liked the information that Janet was talking about, about the importance of platonic touch and cuddling and getting comfortable with consensual platonic touch, which we'll go into talking about. I'm butchering the words here, but uh, let's jump into it. So well, how are you doing? Let me ask you real yeah, quick. Yeah, go ahead. If I feel the instinct or impulse to touch your knee, because I just want to connect, yeah. as us as Latinx, we, you know, may I have your permission? Yes, you have my permission. Awesome. Yeah. So and I like, would like that. Mm. All right, and so if you would like to touch any of my like hands, if okay. you want to reach out and grab me, I give you permission as well. Awesome. Because I'm sure That's none of exciting. your interviews you've probably touched the people you've talked to. Uh, no, I've, I've done like a little hug at the end, but the thing is, is when you do the hug at the end, if you haven't initiated anything before that, it feels very forced. So you get in front of people and you're like, <laughs> like it feels so stiff. And I'm like, there needed to be a little bit more rapport physically for us to make this photo look more natural. Yeah. All right, cool. So we're going to so we're gonna that might happen. That way, yeah. yeah, that might happen. All right, thank you for being here. Thank you. All right, so first of all, I want you to tell us a little bit about what cuddling means or what platonic touch means for you. Hmm. So basically, we are we were born with this need for touch. I mean, if we understand the fundamentals of, of our human body, if we are not touched, we die, <laughs> right? Just like infants. And so what it means is basically continuing the thing that we, our instinct as children, to, conti to continue throughout life. Oftentimes when we hit puberty, it's like, okay, we don't touch anymore. Especially in this society. In other mm -hmm. cultures around the world, touch between men who are heterosexual or you know, women, there's still touch happening in their, in their communities. Mm -hmm. But in our culture, at some point, we're like, okay, it's done. <laughs> you know, no more touching. Um, and in schools, of course, we see that the touching is discouraged. So it's basically platonic touch is encouraging the kind of touch that we experience as children throughout the rest of our lives, which means affectionate, nurturing, non-sexual, like it's just because we care about each other. It's friendly. It's just this way of connecting that it really is natural, but again, we're conditioned out of it. And so, like that being said, what would you say the value of platonic touch is? Because, you know, we're enculturated or taught that you don't you know, touch people when you go out and you're not touchy-feely with people unless it's to lead to something that's more than just that, right? Unless it's something that's going to be sexual. And so what would you say then is the value of platonic touch to people? What did, what will that do for you? Okay, so that question, I want to ask you a question back. What is the value of drinking water and eating food? It's sustenance. It's what like keeps you going. That's what touch is. Okay. And if you look at Maslow's Pyramid of Needs, the bottom part, which is like rest, eating, drinking, um, sometimes they put their sex, but it really what it is, it's just like physical connection. Mm -hmm. It's as important as eating and drinking. And so the value, it's like, wow, it's, it's your life. Um, so if you look at like this, how the body yeah. works, when we are touched, we lower cortisol levels. Mm -hmm. You know, our heart rate slows down. Um, it allows us to, I mean, all, just all the systems um, 
it's, I don't even know how to make the list of all the things that produces inflammation in the body. I mean, we, the studies have been done around massage, right? And like, but there's been no studies based on just like cuddling. I get that. Um, and, and I think about, it's, it's such a, it's so hard to describe because, I don't even know, honestly, the, val it's so, the question is difficult because it's like the yeah, value no, I is get it. Maybe like, I'm framing the question in a way. I, the, well, the, the reason I ask the question that way is because it has this kind of Eurocentric kind of spin to it because of how we see intimacy in America and how we see intimacy in a lot of you know Western countries where it's like something that's like very, you know, you reserve that for sex only. And, and so that's why I kind of ask it in that kind of dry, you look like you really want to say something. Yes. But no, please, please don't. Ah, so yeah. there's racism at the base of all this. Okay, all right. So back, you're talking about Eurocentric. Hundreds of years ago, mm -hmm. you know, we have the five senses, which are, you know, taste, say, taste, smell, touch, hearing, and seeing. A long time ago, what um, again, our European ancestors decided is that seeing and hearing were the most important senses. The other senses, which is like taste and touch and smell, were lesser. The people that were of the southern hemisphere were much more into touch and into mm -hmm. taste and to mm -hmm. smell. And that's one of the ways in which we actually uh, oppressed people. The people that were that those were the senses that were more important um, were demonized. And then those, and then of course, are the brown people. And then the people that were again more rational, more what you could see and what you could hear. You trust those senses. So that's how the polarization of all the senses happened. And it directly is connected to race, and that people don't. And so if you look up the book, uh, so The History of Touch, mm -hmm. the author begins this process of, like, of explaining this mm -hmm. and how touch, and that's why you're not going to see touch in research. You're not going to see t the values of touch. It's, it's, there's minimal um, out there. And, and so it, it makes sense. Like it just on a, like a historical understanding, we have marginalized touch because it's not something we can trust. It's not something that we, uh, we don't value it. We think, again, as long as you're rational, you're thinking, you're hearing, you know, you're great. But that's actually not true. And it's very white, white European, um, because in, again, cultures like in, in the Southern Hemisphere, there's a lot of touch that's happening. Mm -hmm. They haven't made those distinctions around. In my culture, there certainly is. Like people are very like when they see each other, they kiss each other, they like hug each other. There's all of that within Puerto Rican culture, and that's not the case when you're in America. Like when you're in America, it's very, very different, or it's seen as being strange. Well, the I fact had that it, we're holding hands. It's like we're lovers. And no, like, <laughs> it's like we don't have to be. <laughs> no, exactly. But here, it's perceived that way. And so, like that being said, like how do you think? So since you think that this is, or you believe that this is something that's valuable, and lots of other people believe that, how do you shift our culture into feeling like something like this is normal and okay for people to want to do, for people to to be to see as being something that's acceptable? And so this is personally for me. I definitely want people to feel like they don't have to want this or ever have to have it. Mm -hmm. So versus just accepting like where you're at. If this is uncomfortable, don't do it. Right, so like getting honest about, you don't ever have to touch anybody you don't want to touch, or you don't ever have to be touched in a way you never, like you don't want to be touched. That right there is a huge problem. Like we aren't even there. Like we don't even have that in our culture. Often people receive a lot of unwanted touch. And, and I, what I want first is a world where pe the touch that people are receiving is the touch that they want. 
And so that kind of gets into the consensual platonic touch that you talk about a little bit in your TED talk, I believe. So can you back up and explain what that is and the value of that? Like at least, go ahead. Right, so for people to feel safe, right? Like for me to feel safe with you and you with me, we need to have an understanding. Not only like if there's gonna be touch, where are you touching? Like to have, to be able to both feel really good about it. Like feeling good is really, really important. Um, and then secondly, what does it mean? Like the fact that we're holding hands, um, for me it means that we're just having a, a special moment together. But the yeah. moment I walk out of here, it didn't mean anything more than just being here with you. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of meanings that people add to things. Well, if this person touches me, it must mean that they want something. Or again, we have a lot of confusion around we're trying to interpret touch. And so for me, consent includes um, being really clear who's touching who and who's benefiting from touch. Mm -hmm. And then what does it mean? And so what do those sessions look like with you? When someone comes to you and they want the kind of offer that you, I mean the kind of cuddle sessions that you offer, what does that look like? So I have three different platonic sessions. The first one is an empowered session. The second one is a supportive session. And then I have my other business, which is called Retouch, mm -hmm. which is rehabilitative touch therapy. So the first one, an empowered session, is a client comes in. I give them homework because I think people still need like, some resources. And I say, they, I ask them, what kind of touch would you like to receive but would feel good mm -hmm. or a position? And they tell me, I would like to hold you and to be seated like this or to lie down like this. I'm like, yes. Or they'll ask me, is it okay if I play with your hair? Or is it okay, you know? So they, there's this conversation that's happening between two people before anything happens. And then, then we just adjust if changes are needed, if things are wanted, I'll check in. That could be an hour up to 10 hours. I mean, I've had a 10 hour session one time, which is all day. Wow. <laughs> that was a long time ago. Um, so that's, that's the possibility. And then a supportive session is where a client's like, I don't want to have to think about it. I don't know. And maybe they, they're always in, like, in leadership at work or like, they're always in control. And just, mm -hmm. I just want to come and just like, let go. So I'll ask additional questions to kind of figure out, like, are you more of a caregiver? Or are you more like, what, what's your personality? And based on that information, I design a session. It's a little bit more money mm -hmm. because it's like obviously more work for me. And then it's on me to check in with them continuously and give them tools so they can tell me, yes, I like this. Can we make a change or can we stop altogether? Right, so then they're giving me some feedback, but I've kind of done my research and given them what I hope that they want. And they still may not like it, but again, then we're, we're adjusting in the session. And last one is retouch, which is for those clients. And I will say, let me think, it's been all women up to this point okay. who cannot touch, who either have trauma or who have <sighs> a condition in their life, something happened, uh, that they are uncomfortable with touch, but they see people touching in public and they wish that they could do that. And they look, I, they get, they, they ache. Like, I wish I could hold someone, I wish they could hold me, and I just can't do it. I'm too scared, I, I react. And so I've created a program that allows for people to begin introducing touch, and we don't actually do touch to begin with. We get them connected with their bodies and with the signals, and then very slowly, like, I could use that, can I have your, that hand? Can yeah, I have your, yeah. It's like, right here, give me a finger. It's like we begin here. And then what are you experiencing? What are you noticing? I mean, this is where it starts. It's, it, where there's no cuddling. Um, and, and just this, like, it's amazing. Like people, when they realize, and, and actually, let me, let me go back. I hold my finger up and I tell them, when you're ready, 
you touch my finger. So giving them power, especially if they, for them, touch was always taken. This is an opportunity for them to actually take themselves, with my permission. So yeah, there's a lot. So those, those are the three major sessions that I do around touch. Which ones do people come to you for the most often? Like what would you say of those three? Which one do people seek you out for the most? I say the retouch is difficult. Uh, I don't have a lot of clients, and that's because there's so much stigma, right? And um, but people have flown in to see me, so that's I guess that's there's wow. been more of a commitment. Like they'll say, I've looked everywhere online. I've never met anyone who does what you do. I'm flying in from Minnesota, you know, like wow. for a weekend intensive to do the work. Um, so I think there's more of a commitment there for that, uh, and then but for the the everyday kind of like once a week or once a month kind of folks um i'd say empowered because even if they begin with a supportive session where i'm kind of creating it at some point they realize i know what i want mm. now i'm ready to ask i'm like great so then you you decide so then like that being said are the majority of what's your demographic i know i know that this is something that's for everyone but like right. you know i mean so, like do you have mostly men do you have mostly, mostly yeah, mostly men for the platonic, like the sessions that are just like cuddling. Uh, mostly men. Uh, I, I've had a handful of women. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, I'll say. And then for my retouch, it's, it's all been women. Yeah. Or, or as I would say, um, gender queer. Okay, all right. And which one of those are you the most passionate about at this moment? I love a challenge. I love. I love like figuring things out and, yeah. and being in the moment and being intuitive. So yeah, the retouch ones are, are just, just, it's just like, wow, fun. Like what's gonna, cause you get to see right before your eyes, people taking risks and trying things out that they've never done before. So that's, that's exciting and that's fun. Um, and then of course I just love, <laughs> I love the sessions where I'm just lying there. I mean, literally I'm getting paid to just lie around. So like if someone wants to hold me, they're like, yeah, hold me for an hour. And Why not? <laughs> Those are fun because I'm the worst yeah. thing that happens because often the question is like, what happens if something somebody wants something sexual, right? I'm like, that's not my concern. A bigger concern for me is what happens if I fall asleep? <laughs> that happens more often yeah. than like the sexual question. I'm like, I have to stay awake. That's hard. The coffee. <laughs> or that would be what I would do. I, I would just drink coffee. And I just, don't even drink coffee. Oh, so. good for you. It's, <laughs> I drink too much of it. So That's like the hardest thing. It's when yeah. people just want to be really Relaxed. quiet. And they're like breathing at this like perfect rhythm. And I'm just in their arms. <laughs> I'm out. Now, now, you know, like, I guess we can bring up sex a little bit. What do you do if someone does bring up wanting something more than that. We, we Before we started this, we, we discussed this, and I think this is important uh, for two reasons. First, I think there might be people who would like to receive services, like cuddle services, but could feel a concern that they would become aroused. Um, that's a concern, and that's understandable. <laughs> um, and then, like, second, uh, I think there are some people... Oh, God, I lost track of what I was going to say. Well, you tell me. Like, you talked to me. Yeah, <laughs> what sure. was my original question was... Sex. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, so, like, what do you do if <laughs> someone... So she brought up... <laughs> I know, I know, right? Oh, my God. Like, he's already uh, losing yeah, it. I, yeah, I know, right? I just bring it up and it's... I'm That's it. It's gone. Yeah. It's all went down there. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, like seriously though, like like you, you brought up a guy who had said, I hope that's okay if I bring that up. Like some, you've had people say like, yeah. when you ask them where they want to be touched, they'll be like, oh, I want to be touched down here. You know, like what? It is so much fun. Okay. Okay, <laughs> I love this because right off the bat, I know how, like that's vulnerable, <laughs> right? They're being really honest. They're not scared of me. Cause they, okay. So, <laughs> you know, this is a platonic session. You come in anyway and you ask for sex, like that takes some serious, my mom, balls are pretty weak. I don't know what you want to call it, like cajones, you know, like that, that's some serious shit, like for you to ask that. So I'm, I'm intrigued by it, someone like that. Um, but look, yeah, let's go back to like, there is a fear. I've had many people say, I'm afraid to come and see you because what if I get aroused? And they already feel like they've broken some rule. And, and, it's, and it's already shame filled, right? Or like the arousal, like as if arousal's bad. And I think in society, men having erections, like that's, there's a lot of shame. Like if you, <laughs> you don't stand up, right? If you get no, an where are the books? <laughs> I've got to cover up. <laughs> what if we lived in a world where an erection meant nothing more than just, yo, you're healthy. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. It works. And then like, I would say about, I was like, okay, 40, 60, 60% are afraid of an erection, 40% wish they could get an erection. They're just yeah. like, dang, I mean, I wish I could have that. I know, it's like you spend the whole first part of your like youth life as a man, like being afraid you'll pop a boner in like a class, and you do, and you have all these fears <laughs> that are surrounded around, and then it, before you know it, you, you're not doing those as, as often. <laughs> so, so. Then it comes down to it's like, funny. for me, it's not about sexual or non-sexual. And I, I'm speaking for myself and not for the industry. Yeah. Because uh, I, I am also an industry leader and I realize that this is my, my, I know that my word carries a lot of weight. So for me, with a client, I want them to get away from this idea of it being a non-sexual session. I really want them to focus on wanted versus unwanted touch. Wanted versus unwanted experience. And they could have, an erection may be an unwanted thing. Um, that's okay. And so we just normalize it. Like, that's cool. Um, but when we're looking at touch, what is the wanted touch here? So let's get away from it being sexual. And I can't, I can't even begin to like get into your head. We may have a non-sexual session, but you could be all sexual up here. And that, I can't, I can't, I can't know that. So I, I, what I can know is wanted versus unwanted touch. So if we're doing cuddling, is this a wanted touch? Is this feeling good to you? And I'll be like, yes, or, or no. Um, for me, I know in a platonic session, I will only do the things that are platonic. I can't get turned on easily. And, but just because I don't know, so for whatever reason, I think because of how my bi biology is, if I don't want it, it's not gonna happen. And I think with a lot of women, maybe they can relate, like if I don't wanna get turned on, I'm not gonna get turned on. Like it's just not gonna happen. Um, just from like cuddling. And, and so, I can keep that part turned off, but say somebody else can't, they can still receive wanted touch with it not, with an erection's irrelevant. Like it's not important. Um, so what I've noticed is erections come and go, and like they don't, they don't stay. I mean, and it's okay. Um, we just don't give it any attention. We just don't focus on it. And I want them to know as a client that they are welcome as they are. So erection or not, with their struggles, hmm. whatever it is, I want them to feel like they can be there for the wanted touch that they that they want, right? Um, yeah, and what's interesting about that is like an erection is like a form of like arousal. So you can you can 
you know, there have been millions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You could just get like nervous, and all of a sudden you have a boner, and you're like, wait a minute, I'm about to give a a TED talk, or like I'm about to, you know, speak in front of this group of people. That's happened to me. Like, you know, like it's just you just have this reaction. It's like this is not. I'm not wanting this right now. Why are you here? (laughs) You know, and so I can. While you explain that, the depth to which you explain that, I think I better understand myself as a man. So thank you for that. So like I just want all, all erections, you know, to, or penises, <laughs> they have their own mind and I don't mind them. You know? <laughs> I let them do their thing and I stay with the person, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, destigmatizing erections, de-shaming them, allowing them to be, mm-hmm. it's part of what I do. So you mentioned to me that like, you know, you have had people be like, hey, I really oh, yeah. want Those were explicit. Yes. Okay. Can you explain so that people can kind of understand what the process there is? Because you you mentioned that maybe there's something more underlying that you find out about the person. So, okay, I'm going to make a really big confession, which is not going to make any sense. Um, My shadow side, my dark side, is I am a psychological sadist. Okay. (laughs) And Google it if you don't know what that sadism means. But psychological, I'm not here to torture anybody physically. So when someone's like... I really want to have sex with you, or my gosh, I just would love to touch your naked body. I look at them and I'm like, thank you so much for telling me that. (laughs) You know, I really appreciate you being honest with me. I want this to be a space where you can tell me anything and ask for anything. Like, ask me anything that you want. And, no. And then watch them go through this process of like, oh shit, okay, I heard a no. And then, but they're like, we're like touching, right? There's, there's a cuddling thing happening. And then I would say, tell me more. Like, what else is there? Like, tell me about this. Or you know, maybe I wouldn't even say no. I would say, tell me more. Tell me what, what is it about this that's important to you? How would that enrich your life? How would that enrich this moment? And to get that information and to come down, like, as we go, we dig deeper and deeper. And oftentimes, it just comes down to basic need to being seen, to being heard, um, to belong, to feeling like they're worthy of that. Um, sometimes, this is really a lot of fun, I see clients coming in at a certain childhood age, like a developmental age. The zero to three age clients are looking just for a mama. They didn't have that, like, let me hold you and take care of you, you're gonna be safe, mm-hmm. right? They're not looking for something sexual. The like three to six, are more like exploratory and curious and and like feel they just it's um yeah it's just it's they're just exploring as little kids from like six to six to nine it's they're challenging pushing buttons and it's those clients who are like what happens if i ask this question that's forbidden like will you put the boundary can i trust you and it's, it's that playful, and, I'm, and I see him like, I see this little eight-year-old boy who just wants to know, am I going to hold the boundary? And I'm like, I'm going to hold the boundary. I'm here. You can trust me. And sometimes when they realize I said no, they go, oh, okay, thank you. It's almost like a sense of relief that they don't have to commit to that. Yeah. So, and then of course, then there's the, the 9 to 12, and then like the teenagers show up, and it's, it's all, it's these adults get stuck at this really important time in their life where they're asking, you know, they're figuring out who they are and, and they show up in the sessions. Now, what is your background in this so that people kind of understand? Because you're very equipped. You have a very 
intense knowledge of psychology and human behavior to be comfortable enough to make that assessment about someone. And so I think that people would benefit to know what your credentials are to do that, to be able to speak that way. Because it takes a certain level of like confidence with yourself and with understanding another person to be able to say it like that. So I don't have any traditional credentials. <laughs> if I did, I couldn't do this work. I just want to make sure people understood. If I got, you know, if I was a counselor, psychologist, you can't, t I can't touch people, right? So just right off the bat, I didn't go down that route. Um, I have a bachelor's and a master's degree in theology. <laughs> so, That's right. Yeah, you told me that. So a while like, ago. Uh, you know, Bible theology and church history. So I mean, I've, I've loved this idea of like who we are as people and mm -hmm. how we got here, and and theology and religion and all of that. I mean, constantly looking into playing into like what that all means. Um, and then I'm a mother. I mean, mother of four kids. So I took a break from all of that and just focused on my children. And in th that time, I did the trainings around like nonviolent communication. Um, I went to like weekend experiences where I worked on like my own issues and my own problems, um, leadership classes. And so I've done a lot of work for myself. That's first and foremost. I do a lot of reading. And then when I came into sexuality, I went to get certifications and certain things that I was interested in, workshops that I wanted to lead. Um, and then moving into when I realized I wanted to do platonic touch and cuddling, there is a training online that's called Cuddleus. It's relatively inexpensive. Um, it's not deep. It's not meant to be. But it, what it's, it's focuses on boundaries and communication, right? So we're not really teaching people how to cuddle, but you're like teaching people how to have the communication, the conversation around this kind of stuff. Um, so there is that, like I'm certified there. But just, again, and then just being out there in the world, engaging with people. I'm a life coach, so I've you know done life coach training, um, just picking up stuff, and, and that's, I mean, I don't know. Oh no, I was just because I mean, like, the life coach thing kind of flows into it. Bit, like, yeah. yeah, I mean, so you know, I guess where where does the life coaching? Did you did you get that after you started doing the cuddling? What does a session like that look like? What do you offer people when they talk to you? What are they generally looking for when you talk to somebody for life coaching? So I'm not traditional in any sense of the way. Like I, I'm very kinesthetic. So if somebody's like, you know, I really want to work through issues, but I just want to talk about them. I'm like, fantastic, because I don't either. Like, so when something is, I'm, I'm like a bot, I'm into the body, right? So if you're um, having issues and I notice you're tight, mm -hmm. then fuck it, let's, let's get up, let's move, you know? And um, I've gotten into like wrestling matches and like pushing and like really getting people to, to activate the body's knowledge and truth um, as part of creating the path that they need to go, they need to go down. Um, I, I, I feel like I have a skill in intuition and like, trying to figure like where people get stuck. Like, what is the issue that I'm like, okay, I'm hearing your story, this is it right here, whatever that thing is. And like, tell me more about this. Um, and then unpacking that. So it's, it's I, I just have a keen way of like, being able to siphon, um, siphon or siphon, siphon through a lot of information to find the thing that I think is the key to unlocking things. And then they just unlock, and it's just, it's, that's really cool. And I think it, it goes back to my history background. You know, look at all the history and figure out, okay, what is it in history that was the thing that turned everything? I love that. Like that's my most passionate about like trying to figure out why we are the way we are. And so for so I'll just to clarify what a counselor is versus a coach. Counselors are looking at the past. Like they're looking at all the shit in your childhood and, and while I think I can play around that in that playground a little bit, I I don't prefer to. 
um, I'll grab a thing, we'll pull one thing out just to bring it to the present. But a coach, what they do is they look at the present and the future. It's like, who the fuck are you right now? Mm-hmm. There's a little thing in the past that fucked you up. Okay, let's bring you here to this present. Who do you want to be? And how do we get you to that place? But how do we break this shit that like you're still stuck? So today I had a screaming session with a client who has, he didn't even, he never told me he was full of anger, but I could see all of this frustration and anger and I can't be me. Like, well, then let's break it. And so, you know, we have a temper tantrum on the bed where we're just kicking and screaming and, you know. The, the most important thing is that body connection. So as a life coach, I'm not just listening to you mm-hmm. and hearing you. I'm also looking at the body. Let's get up. Let's do something about this. Let's look in front of a mirror. Let's dance. Um, what happens if we, you know, whatever, do something together? Um, that's is so important to me that people make it sure it's the whole body, like total, total body, total body training. <laughs> it plays, it, it wraps that <laughs> in perfectly. So yeah, that's basically yeah. my life coaching. Yeah. And so I love walking too. I, I take people on walks and we, for those who need to be moving to talk, because that's another thing. It's like unlocking the truth through walking. Keep, keep talking to me. I'm going to change one thing real quick. I just need to be able to see where I'm at. Okay. So you're saying, all right. Let me get back on track here mentally. Sure. All right, now, what has this done for you personally? I didn't, I didn't ask really? that question. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, really though. I mean, yeah. I understand like you, you have this career and you've been, you. It seems like you've been doing very well for yourself, doing this. Is there anything that you have gotten out of working with people that you didn't anticipate getting out of these sessions? Anything you learned about yourself? I'll be completely honest with you. I don't give anything for free anymore. Mm-hmm. So everything that I'm offering is something that I've learned for myself. Like, it all began with me doing my work. And then now I'm, what I'm doing is basically giving the things that I've been doing for me. So none of this is outside of me. It's always been internalized, right? All the things I provide. So I give it to people. And I used to give it to for free, like friends and whomever, because I wanted to. It felt good. And then now I'm starting to value myself. I'm going, no, I think the business part has changed me. It's made me realize that I'm a fucking badass and I'm really good at this work and I, get, I deserve to get paid for it. And now I can support my family. And like that, that's the thing that it's, it's done. Making the business made it so that I can do what I love. So would you say it's like a level of confidence maybe in yourself and what you do that yeah, you develop? Yeah, and, and being public about it, I think that... I was too scared to let people know this is what I do. Um, and now that I people come back and they're like, that really helped me, or thank you, you know, whatever it is that I get, um, makes it so that's like, wow, yeah, I, I am, it gave, yeah, it gave me this confidence um, to push forward, to keep trying out new things, to make a difference, to trust my intuition. So I'm in a session, you know, I, I create a plan, okay, this is what I'm gonna work on with this client, whatever it is. It never turns out that way. Like, <laughs> like in the moment, I get this, I hear this thing that's like, do this. And I'm like, oh fuck, that's awkward. <laughs> I don't wanna do that, like it's, what if they don't go with me? What if they don't trust me? And I'll look at them and go, will you trust me? Because I'm gonna ask you to do something that's really weird. Just trust me on this, I'll see how it goes. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and they do, which, okay, that right there is like, oh, they trusted me, right? Yeah. It's huge. <laughs> and then we do the thing, and they're like, that is exactly what I needed. And I'm like, oh, Like, every time, I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. 
and and I can continue to trust myself. Trust that. Trust it. Yeah. So, like, can you give us an example of that? Would you, like the screaming thing, right? That would be that an was example. a big one. Yeah. Um, so to anchor that, because this this screaming thing just happened today. That's why it's really fresh. Like before I came yeah. here. So to anchor it, I'm like, okay, here I am. I'm holding this guy. He's semi trembling still, right? He's processing what just happened. He's telling me what he's noticing in his body. Um, pretty big moment. I no need to anchor it. It, it. There needs to be like, okay, you can go home. I can't send him home like this. So um, I think, you know, mirror. Okay, pull out the big mirror. What am I going to do in front of the mirror? Okay, well, he needs to look at himself. He needs to look at himself angry. Um, that's scary. Especially if there was already reluctance around getting angry is huge. So now, mm -hmm. will you be, would you be willing to look at yourself angry? Mm -hmm. And what if he said to me, I don't want to? Because he has every right to. I can't make anybody do anything. But I'm like, trust me. Just do this for me. And, and if, if you don't want to, then just say no, right? There's always the consent. And he's like, okay. And, he, and like, just the bravery that shows up. I'm like, all right. So then it's the anger. Show yourself angry. And then it's like, okay, close your eyes again. And I said, this time, um, and I, I guided him through a visualization to get really grounded and get really confident, which is, this, this has been his issue. Like, I want to be confident again. So like, I want you to get as confident as you can. You know, we described all the different things about his body. He's rooted into the ground. Like, again, the things that people do in spiritual visualizations. And then he opened his eyes and he looked at himself. And he later tells me, I've never looked at myself in the mirror before. Like to brush his teeth, but never looked. And, I'm, and I said, you know, this is your rebirth. This is important for you. And then I had him look for about three minutes, long time, close your eyes. This time, this is where again, it was like, shoot, this is my intuition speaking. And I didn't know how it was going to work. I put some music on. And I said, I, and I didn't even know if he could dance. What if he couldn't dance? What if he couldn't move his body? I didn't know, but I'm like... Script, we'll just like try this. Just move your body but to the music, whatever feels good. And he starts moving. Like, okay, he can, he has a rhythm. Because <laughs> people have issues, there's a lot of people that I know that are like, uh uh, I can't, I can't move, right? He did it, and, and suddenly, like, I had invited him to look at himself move and then smile. So the person that showed up at my door, this is actually, um, they've had a few sessions with me, was this. Completely depressed, cannot, you know, this is the last, like, this is his last attempt to try to fix himself. You know, it's, it's his life is done. Um, completely shut down, completely unable to do anything, um, scared. And then at that moment, looking at himself, moving his body, and I invite him to smile. This huge smile. Mm -hmm. Now, again, I didn't know if that would work. I didn't know if he was going to follow me. I've never done that before for anybody. So most of my sessions are unique because I don't know what's going to happen. And he trusts me. And he did it. And he's like, I, like he's shocked at himself. Like, I don't even know who I am. Like, yeah. So I, again, this happened today. I'll check in with him tomorrow, see how, he's, how he is. But just physically, he said, I feel lighter. I feel changed. And I think people... There's many different ways of going about this. I'm not definitely not saying this is like the one way. But, no, yeah. But there is something about getting people's bodily stories to the surface, right? So the anger was stored in his body. Here, he's like, I, can, I think I can just think it away or make it go away. It's not going away. 
getting him to like bring that out. And now there's this hole. And what are we going to fill it with? So filling it with something that he wants. He asked, I want to be more confident. Great, well, let's show up. And because he had it before. He's like, I remember a time when I was. And I lost it. It's beautiful. Like I, so it's, it's that intuitive, like I'm just making it up as I go along. But I have, I've done enough like trainings and little things here and there. I've heard enough things. I read books. I'm like, okay, it's a really good concept, a really good idea. I'm into, again, I'm reading some books. I've never met anybody who does bioenergetics, but I... Yes, I've, I'm familiar with bio. Uh, the reason I'm familiar with that is I've never practiced it, but I'm familiar with it because of Elliot Hulse. I don't know if you know who he is. He He's a YouTuber who was like one of those first YouTubers oh. who, like one of the first ones before like everybody was on there talking about whatever. Yeah. One of the first <laughs> fitness people on there, but he would talk about fitness and about... Oh. Uh, movement, ecstatic dance, which you were talking about, and how that releases things. And you talked about how like movement does that. And actually, that was one of the first people who got me interested in weightlifting because I felt like I needed to get something out. Like our slogan here is "Get Lean, Gain Muscle, and Build Confidence." And so I needed to work on confidence. Yeah. And so, so like weightlifting was a way of me getting that out. But um, but he brought up bioenergetics. Yeah. So the founder is Alexander Lowen, and mm -hmm. he's. I'm not them. horribly familiar with it. So. so I have some of his books, and so I read them, mm -hmm. and it talks a lot about like the, I don't know, no, we're good. The, um, the, the need to process the feelings and the repression, all the emotions you know, that are stuck in our bodies, and that there's ways to do that. And so how emotions that are repressed and stuck, they make our bot they shape our bodies. Mm -hmm. And so people that write or Tightness like in the shoulders. Exactly, or just like necks that are forward. Sorry. Yeah, I mean all the different ways in which, and it's it's not until we can actually deal with the emotions that are behind those things that those things can get corrected. So going and going to the chiropractor, or going, and, I don't know, weightlifting is great, but like just doing the thing, physical things, without dealing with the underlying issues, it's counterproductive. And so, you know, for me, it's like how do we bring those to the surface in a way that people feel safe to do that? Um, is is basically what I want to do. And with touch, right, like, because there's no touch and talk therapy or counseling, it's harder to get out. But when I touch people and I hold them or, like, just caress their arms, for whatever reason, it's like truth-telling. <laughs> people start saying things that they've, like, I've never said this before. I'm like, because it's in the muscles. It's in the body. Mm -hmm. That's where the stuff is stored. And so when you start touching, it's like it gets released. It's able, it feels safe to come out. I mean, there's even, uh, are you familiar with epigenetics mm -hmm. a little bit? I mean, there's even stuff in our DNA that, that, that we carry. I mean, that's scientific, too. That's not, you know, that's that's hard. There's hard evidence that suggests that things that your parents did, if you're not familiar with it, um, I guess epigenetics is the idea that um, trauma that your parents experienced or that your grandparents experienced get encoded into your DNA. And this this isn't like... I hate to use this word, like, how do I say this? This isn't like fringe science. Like, this is well documented now um, with people who experience, like, whose past family experienced trauma. They've done it with rats. They see that, like, the rats that of, of parents who were starved tend to, to carry um, certain kinds of strands of DNA, or it's encoded in their DNA that they're, they're, they've had a family who's had some kind of trauma, and so now they're saying there's a whole book about it, about like if your parents like had some trauma 
at some point you need to talk to them about it because you'll experience it in some kind of micro way as you age. I don't know how familiar you are with that stuff, but I mean, there's, there's stories within us, within our bodies that we're not even aware of, you know? And on top of that, we have our own stories, our stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves, the stories that we shape as we get older and all of that kind of plays a role in it. So I do think there is a tremendous value to movement and then also addressing what's going on with you and like why you're holding on to this in your body. I mean, I know for me, I mean, from experience, I was just talking about this on the Instagram. I, I'm talking too much. No, you're good. No, please. Like I was talking about how I noticed this the other day. I would, like when I get frustrated about something or I get frazzled, my hands, I will take my hands and I'll just do something like that. I'll find, and I like look down, I'm like, why am I holding, you know what I mean? And like, I'll like, you know, I'll get all like, tense in my back and I'm like, whoa, hold on for a second. And you know, sometimes you gotta step back and be like, why am I doing that? And if you don't notice that, what that turns into is my neck really hurts. That turns into my biceps, my pecs are in pain. Like, why is that happening? And it might be that you need to resolve something within yourself. And if you can resolve that, you can start to also work on the physical. That's kind of what you're saying, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. More or less. So it's looking at again, the whole body. Yes. Like the, the, our bodies are telling us exactly what our bodies need to release that stuff. Yeah. And we just need to listen. And often we're just too busy that, you know, we feel like we have to make the body do things or break in the body or, you know, like, you know, fix it in some other way. And it's like, no, the body wants to correct. Um, and again, figuring it out, like, what is the thing that made it get out of shape or get out and get into that position that's really painful. Yeah, and, and this is almost gonna be, this is almost gonna sound silly, but you'll understand what I'm saying. So, uh, a long time ago I was watching this show called The Dog Whisperer. Are you familiar with The Dog Whisperer? That uh, Caesar guy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Caesar guy. Yeah, he, he like helps dogs. And yeah. um, he, <laughs> he was dealing with dogs who are scared of things. And he was dealing with a dog who's scared of taking baths. And so what he did was he took the dog to like water and he showed the dog the water or whatever. And the instant the dog shows up to see water, it tucks its tail, it's all scared. And that's what we do when we're dealing with trauma and things like that. We constrict our bodies, that's me, like holding my hand tightly. And then he, what he did was he would like stroke the dog's tail anytime it'd be around water to be like, hey, like this is okay. Like, hey, like this, this, what's happening right now is okay, you're safe, like it's fine. And through that process and through calming the dog down, the dog was able to work through that. And you might think, well, that's a dog, but we're a lot like dogs, you know, in our, go ahead. So it's like with breathing. Mm -hmm. It's a big part of, we didn't, haven't talked about this, how oh, the value please. of yeah. breathing um, and all of this kind of work and just connecting with that life force, right? Our breath is everything. And so when we have that sh shallow breath, and I'm looking at nonverbals in people when they're shallow, they're like hyper, almost hyperventilating, right? It's, it's a panic moment, right? So it's like, okay, let's, if they start to slightly panic or there's a panic line that's right there they can see and like, mm -hmm. just deepen your breath. There are um, parasympathetic and sympathetic, the nervous system has built this in for us that if we really want to relax, we just have to lengthen our, our exhale. The inhale can be whatever, it's the exhale which activates the parasympathetic nervous system that allows us to be like, and it's a, we can, I don't want to say trick, but we can show the body that we're safe just with an exhale. Um, so there's a mental part, like we can control some of this, but often we're not responding from our thinking. We, the body just starts freaking out. Um, 
especially if it's something that's like trauma from epigenetics or before we were verbal, pre-verbal, or our, our birth. I'm, I'm really big on birth imprinting. So when I notice okay. that someone's having a really hard time breaking through, I'll ask them, what's your birth story? And often it'll, what happened at their birth is still what they're reliving. So like there was trauma, there was struggle, they couldn't do it, or if they're the kind of person that's like, man, I've never been able to like get anywhere in life, I don't have the thing, I find out that they were a cesarean birth, right? Because they didn't have a chance to actually exert themselves, right? They were just taken out. Somebody else did the thing. So there's, they've done a lot of studies around the power of story. If you rewrite your own story and you believe it, you can actually change mm. yourselves. I mean, like, your, your mind believes what you say. So if you're like, if you change your, your history, like, again, there's more power in our story than there is in our history. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. If you choose to believe that you are a powerful, amazing, wonderful, beautiful person, you're going to start living that way. But if you, that's your story, if you believe a different story about yourself, you'll start living like that. Um, so we, it's again, people that do like positive affirmations and reframing. NLP, uh, neuro linguistic programming, exactly. right? This would be kind of like a. That's been, I suppose, so that's been debunked. But like. <laughs> but there's, I, I mean, I don't know, again, to the extent oh, no, of where yeah. like scientists, so they said no way. But. But just the thinking about like we have our cells are listening, our body, you know, they've this goes into quantum physics and to like, you know, um, where we put our attention and our our belief and our you know whatever it is, we have the power to create that, make it bigger. Law of attraction, if you believe in that as well, um, and and that's a big part of this is in the work. So again, we've gone from like platonic touch to oh, I know we're kind of like uh, <laughs> and that's cool a little bit um, because it's again it's about the whole person, so. I've had people come have a great touch session, but it's not complete. It's not what they're, they're needing something more, something that's deeper. And if they're able to share that with me and I can access it, then we can work through that. Um, but then I have people that come just one time and they never come back. And or they'll go see other people that do the work too. They're looking for compatibility. Maybe I'm not the right person for them. Anyway. No, I mean, I get yeah. that. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, yeah, I mean, no. You don't have to work out with me. I, I get people all the time who this isn't the right fit, you know. And you just have to let that person go, <laughs> you know. So, okay. So, hmm. Who are the people in your industry who are the gatekeepers? I know you're one of the. I mean, because you have people coming from out of state, yeah. like people coming from everywhere. Who are some other people in your industry who are well known? So those who have created trainings are really important. Yeah. So you have Cuddlist.com. You also have um, Samantha Hess. She was like the first, first public person. She was on America's Got Talent, actually, twice for cuddling. This on is like a talent show? <laughs> yes, no, she was like on there with like the celebrities and she was on TV. So this is like a long time ago, years and years ago. She was the first. Uh, her training is up in, she's in Portland, certified colors, I think, dot com. Um, so there's the, her training. She's but she's just because historically she's just an important person in this work. And then you have the smaller schools. Um, you have Cuddle Sanctuary out of LA. They, they actually have a cuddle community every week. They get together and they do group cuddling. And they, they have, of course, then practitioners that do one-on-one -on -one as well. But they're, it's a, it's, they have a space that they do the work in. Um, and then Cuddle Party is really, if the original original is Cuddle Party. Back, I think, in... 2014. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, go back. 2004. That's like 14, 15 years. It was now. in the MySpace era because because I heard about it 
when I was using a MySpace. Oh. I saw I saw a video for it. Okay. Yes, yeah, so it, it was around 2004. Okay, so 2004, yeah. they started this cuddle party thing as a response to, they were, they were doing massage parties and realized, you know, people just want to cuddle. <laughs> and this is New York City, yeah. you know, a bunch of 20-year-olds were like, we just want to hang out and cuddle together. So that was birth, and that, that has been going on for a while, and then people were like, well, I'm, I'm feeling really socially anxious. I'm not going to go to a group event. I want one-on-one. There were some uh, websites that popped up that were really sketchy. I won't even say the names. If you go under like cuddling and on mm-hmm. Google, you'll find like it just is really really sketchy. Like the um, that's what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, there's um, so when you really look at it, you're looking at like how are people making money? How are the websites making money? That's what the kind of questions you want to know. I mean, you need to ask um, what kind of training do the people that you're going to work with? I've had people come to me and tell me horror stories of I went to this website, I hired a professional color to come to my hotel, which again has a lot of implicit risk in it, like you're meeting a stranger in a hotel. But this was somebody who was not trained, who didn't know what they were doing, um, didn't understand their own boundaries. And the bad things happen, right? So ideally go with someone who has some level of training, who understands their own boundaries, who knows how to say no. Um, Especially with the dynamic we were talking about earlier on women and men, women being very complacent Complacent, that's the right word, or like compliant is actually compliant. Compliant, compliant. Um, you know, especially if they're getting paid for something, like they're willing to, you know, like, well, I guess I got to do the thing that they asked me. <laughs> it's like, no, you don't. Um, so if a woman doesn't have good boundaries, and if the man, I don't know, like, it just gets really complicated really quickly. And um, so I'll have people say, well, this other person did this thing for me. They wore, you know, lingerie, and I'm like, I'm not wearing lingerie. Like that's not what I do. Um, so it gets complicated industry-wise. Yeah, and so where, so people are clear. Where would you say that someone should go to find someone to help them with cuddle? If you're in Portland, go to um, Cuddle Up to Me, which is Samantha Hess's organization, mm-hmm. and she does CertifiedCuddlers.com. If you're in LA, definitely go to Cuddle Sanctuary. Great, like those are city exclusive locations. Um, if you're in the rest of the country, Cuddlist.com has a bunch of people. Look at the different statuses. There's trained status and there's certified status. Trained status only means that they did the online work, but they never met a person. Like they, but you know, some people don't really need to, I don't know, like do hands-on. Certified people have all done something hands-on. Um, it used to be required that they had to do cuddle party, but no longer. So you can also see if they've done a cuddle party or not, so they have group experience. And you just have to ask questions. Interview your people. Like, don't just go to someone just because, I don't know, um, they're cute in their picture and their profile. I mean, that, that's really what people choose. They go, oh, she's cute or he's cute and they just pick the person and they think it's cute. Like if you're looking for a great experience, um, ask. And then, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've heard stories of people, even within these people that are trained or certified, they, they do things that are outside of our code of conduct. and. They need support. I mean, they need to know that they can say no. I mean, it's hard. It's really hard for someone. I mean, I've had issues early on. Um, my first session ever, I remember walking away with a slight headache because the guy was pushing boundaries, but it was my first session. And I was like, oh, shoot, okay. That's how it was difficult. Um, in one of my sessions that first year, some guy pulled out his cock. And I was like, wow. I was like, okay. But there at least, and you're like, oh, session is done. <laughs> and I walked out. Like, actually, I was at his place. so. I never felt scared. It was just more like, oh, you've just ended our session. Thank you so much for uh, you know the 30 minutes that we had. <laughs> That's it. Um, so again, it's it's learning how to 
you know, navigating those kind of spaces. And what does a cuddle party look like? Ooh. Yeah, because you brought this up earlier and I was just intrigued. <laughs> so there, if, anyway, I have one on Sunday if you'd like to come. Cool. <laughs> Sunday morning. Very cool. You come for free. Anyway, so, <laughs> uh, so it's three hours. First hour is... That's a long time. It's not, well, first hour is workshop. Okay. Right? Because okay. we're trying to change the culture. You know, each cuddle party is intended on like, how do we get people to be able to take these, the rules of cuddling into life? Because they're really life rules. It's how to say yes. You know, how to say no. Um, what does maybe mean? Maybe means no. If you're not sure, just say no. And it's okay. And then like how to change your mind. Or it's okay. It's always okay to change your mind at any time. And there's a bunch of other little rules. But these are life rules. Things that people need to practice. So for the first hour, we're learning about them. We're learning what no means. No is not personal. If someone tells you no, it's their business. It's not only about you. Um, and so, and then from there, we practice these where there's very little at stake, right? Like at a cuddle party, you're going to be with a bunch of strangers, probably, and you can mess up and you can practice and you can try things out and you know that, you know, you're not going to walk out of there with anything, anything lost because um, they're not your friends. They're not your family. They're not your lovers. It's okay. So it's like, here's a chance where you can ask for what you want. How about if you have a really hard time with rejection? Well, why not come to Cuddle Party and get rejected 10 times? Just feel it and, and then come talk to me and I'll help you like process that because that's what, that's what my job is, is when things show up, I'm here, let's talk. Um, yeah, so it's, it's an opportunity to learn the rules and then practice them for two hours afterwards. So like two hours of looking at a room full of people and going, okay, I'm gonna pick somebody. I'm going to ask them if they'll give me a back massage, or I'm going to ask if I can give them a back massage, or I'm going to go up to somebody and say, hey, can I sit next to you and hold your hand? It's not really necessarily you have to be cuddling. And here's the other thing people don't realize. You never have to cuddle at a cuddle party. If you want, you can just sit there and voyeur the whole time, and that's okay, too. I've had, actually had someone sleep the entire time. <laughs> that's what they wanted to do. I'm like, hey, if that's your thing, that's cool. Wow. <laughs> that's intense. Three hours. So. What do people, how does this impact people's lives with their partners? Oh, it's like, huge. Yeah? So people will often come to a cuddle party not just once, not just twice, like 10 times, they're in 20 it. times. I mean, they come. It's addictive. It's like they come because they're like, every time I come, I, I'm practicing a new skill. Like, I, I'm, like people have, I'm still having a hard time telling somebody no. Um, so then they go home. They're like, okay, I, it's okay for me to ask. Like, I just need to ask. Like, I need to actually verbalize what I'm feeling or thinking. Um, so it changes how people, not just interact with their partners, how they interact with everybody, with other family members, um, with work. At work, people are like, you know, shit, I can ask for what I want at work. The worst thing that can happen is they'll tell me no. And guess what? I'm going to survive. Often we're so scared of the no, we think, oh no, if they tell me no, I'm dead, or like the shame, oh, it's like, no, there's no shame, it's okay, you know, and so it's, it's that, it's building that resiliency, mm -hmm. and the confidence that you're talking about with your organization, it's like, it's okay for you to be you. Yeah, I say that a lot, I mean, not in the same context as you, but it's okay to fail like what is failing really like it's just an opportunity yeah it's just more information like oh well that's not maybe my approach was wrong or <laughs> like maybe i asked the wrong person or you know maybe i'm not with the right person you know like that opens up a whole like series of questions i'm sure for people 
Like maybe it wasn't the what I wanted, but like maybe we can negotiate something else. So there's three different ways to ask for something. Okay, please. So I can say, um, let's see, Giancarlos, uh, may I rub your head? Is that what yeah, you call it? Yeah, my, 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 uh, <laughs> my like, head, yeah. Is that what you call it? <laughs> yeah, like, my head, my yeah, scalp. Your scalp, may I rub <laughs> My head. Or I can be like, Giancarlos, would you play with my hair? Yeah. Or we could be like, um, the third way, which is the way people forget, it's like, hey, could we figure out something, a way to like massage our heads? Like, could we do that together? So it's, or it'd be like, may I give you a hug? Would you give me a hug? Can we share a hug? Right, that's the third. So it's, the third one allows for there not to be any kind of ownership taking, but like, it's like when we have a shared experience. See, so it's, it's, it's both. Do you see other different ways? Yes, yes, I understand. Yeah. So one of the things, so if I ask you, I'll just do hugs, I did simpler. Um, may I give you a hug? Mm-hmm. Basically, I'm asking for permission, and it's it's like, may I give you a hug? And I'm, it's putting it on you. I think I'm actually gonna go no, back. I get what you're saying. Anyway. It's like it's like saying that like like okay, if you no, don't do right. this, you're shutting me down. That's like also a part, right? Because because when you ask that question that way, it can't not be. Go ahead. No. So like, maybe go back because I'm thinking I'm processing this through. So like, may I give you a hug? It's like I have a need. I'd like to give you a hug. May I give you a hug? Or maybe I think you have a need, but like it's still about me. The other one is, would you like a hug? Take some of the ownership away. It's like I'm gonna take. Like I'm. It's focused on you. They all. They both feel very different to me. Um, often with with somebody, I try to. My practice with myself is, I want to be vulnerable. It's really scary, like to tell you what I want. Like, I need a hug. Would you give me a hug? Like, would you do this for me? That's scary and vulnerable to say. Like, I have a need, um, as opposed to be like, Hey, can I give you a hug? It's super easy for me because like I don't have to. I don't have to deal. I'll show you that I'm actually having a need here. I can make it about. I can presume to make it about you. And um, and the third one is like, well, can we share one? It's a little bit lighter. It's like, hey, can we share a moment? Can we share a hug? You know, it just it feels it feels different. So it's it's just really depending on kind of what we're trying to accomplish. So two very important questions that we need to ask people or, or ask ourselves is, who's touching who? So as you can see, let's talking about us right now. Um, I would just out of my own sense would be like, oh, you're touching me. Right, because your hand's on top of mine. Mm-hmm. And the second question that's really, really important is who's benefiting? It's a question that we never ask and extremely important that we, that we if it's somebody that we love or we care about, family, friend, or whatever, lover, um, that we kind of figure that out, right? Because like who's benefiting? And oftentimes, because we don't know, there's, this is not honesty. So for right now, I would say, I don't know who would be benefiting. I'm benefiting because I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to show the world, like, hey, you can touch and hold hands, and that's great. Um, you may say I'm benefiting in, in a way as well. Um, but like when massage happens, say you're in a couple, you can tell your partner, hey, I'd, like to, I'd love to give you a massage. So ideally, like if you're giving the massage, it's you're giving the massage to them, you're doing the touching. The question is who is benefiting? Oftentimes, in the giving a massage, the person that's receiving the massage benefits, it's like that's the idea, like I'm giving you a massage for your benefit. Mm-hmm. That can be really, um, can, have, can have a lot of problems. Okay, go on. Okay. Yeah. Because suddenly the person receiving the massage has to make some really important decisions. 
what if I don't like it? Do I direct them and tell them what I want? Like, do I, I mean, I have to, like, do I have to pretend like I like it if I don't like it? How long is this gonna last? Um, and it made me feel really good, and it's like, great, um, I want it to continue forever. <laughs> like, whatever, like, yeah, yeah. there's a lot, and so if you're with somebody who has a hard time communicating to begin with, communicating what they like, what they don't like, they're gonna endure, they're going to like just put up with. And the whole time was for that person, right? So if they're not good at communicating, and this can be like massage or sex or whatever, right? So, yeah. so then what happens if the person that's giving the massage is doing it for their benefit? This is like the piece of, of this kind of, is what I prefer to do with my clients. So when a client and I are doing touch, I invite them, touch me, and giving you permission to touch me for your benefit. And that's like, whoa, I've never done that before. That's selfish. Or I'm told that's wrong. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's actually not wrong. It's, it's, it's liberating for me. It's a relief because now I don't have to show you that I like it because it has nothing to do with me. So like, here's my arm or here's my hand. There's something called hand caress, which is a sensate focus exercise. Okay. You touch, you, um, for three minutes, you have access to my hands and you touch my hands for your interest, for your curiosity, and people, and when they do that, I'm like, this is the best thing ever. I get to not only enjoy the touch, I get to enjoy them enjoying my hand, and I don't have to ever give the appearance that I like it. Or that it's, like, I never have to fake it, like, oh, that feels so good. It doesn't matter what I think. It's not for me. It's for them. And, and it empowers them to really get into their bodies and do what feels good for them. It allows me to have my own experience that they don't have to be performing for me or taking care of me. I'm gonna take care of myself. And I get to enjoy their pleasure. Like, there's a word called compersion. I've never, please tell the me. Word, it's the opposite of jealousy, which is like when I get to um, receive joy from somebody else's joy. So if I watch you working out, whatever, you're so happy, and I'm just watching you, I'm like, wow, I feel really good for you. Yeah. Like I feel, or if like, let's say, um, this is often used in polyamory and like non-monogamous relationships mm. where the one person's with somebody else and the person that's not like who's watching it, the couple, part of the couple, um, can feel really a lot of joy for their partner being with somebody else because it feels really good to see them happy. Um, so for me, I get a lot of a compersion of seeing somebody really enjoying my body, my hand, my face, my hair for their interest or curiosity or pleasure and I... Um, and I don't have to ever, it's not about me. Um, and so then, again, it's for therapeutic reasons, it's really, really important. And so the people, again, going back to my two questions, who's touching who and who's benefiting, mm -hmm. it's important that just that, that piece of like, hey, so we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to do a massage, like, I'm going to benefit. I'm going to take it. It's controversial. It ha it's, I think it feels a little subversive um, for someone to own that they're just going to do it for their own pleasure. <laughs> but permission needs to be given, right? Like the person that's giving the body piece part needs to also say, like, I'm giving you permission yeah, and it to seems, explore. It has to come from a very, I'm legitimately okay with it place, which is a gray area for a lot of people. Which we talked about earlier, which which is just—I mean, we're kind of getting at it, but it, yeah, it's yeah. complicated. Because we're not honest, I guess this is going go back to like the communication piece. Touch isn't just touch; it's about communication, really. Mm -hmm. Because we're not honest about pleasure, 
were you gonna say something? No, no. Like all of it, like we're we're scared to talk about touch. That's what cuddle party is all about. You know, we're scared to engage in touch. Um, we feel like we have to take it because there's scarcity around touch. Like, what if touch isn't there anymore? What if this person chooses to leave me? What if I'm not gonna have them in an hour? Like, whatever. Like, I gotta take everything, right? So there's a lot of um, fear and scarcity around it. So we have all these parts to it, and if we just could talk about it and say, like, hey, let's hang. I'd love to put my arm around you, and I really just want to enjoy your warmth for me. Um, what do you want? What would feel good to you? And like negotiate that. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, so much goes into that. <laughs> the, the fear of re rejection. Oh God, that is that is tricky. So I guess your aim would be to resolve that, or to make it so that people feel more comfortable. I mean, that's what you're actively doing, right? That people feel more comfortable expressing what they need, and then also that people know what they need. Because that's another, we had, we talked about that off camera, about how oftentimes people don't know what they need or are afraid of what they need. So Can how you do you find out? Yeah, how do you find out what you want or need? You have to know who you are. Mm -hmm. And then accept that person. Because there's a lot of shame about like, okay, I guess this is who I am, but I'm, I'm embarrassed or I'm sorry about this or we're apologizing for ourselves. Be you. What do you, like once you discover like this is just who I am, this is how I navigate the world, this is what feels good. Yeah, these are the parts of my shadow side. Mm, parts aren't so great, but there, there's trauma there, or there's you know childhood of shit, right? Like wounds. All right, cool. This is just who I am right now, and what I would need is this, um, and then and or what I would want is this, and then the want splits into two parts. So there's the expressed want. I can tell you, you know, I really would like for you to kiss me on the cheek, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that I could ask for, or I don't have to ask for it. I could just feel like, hmm, that would feel really good. And just leave it as a want. And just like enjoy the want for what it is, mm -hmm. and let it be. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't have to do anything about it. Again, it's, it's our Western culture, our... Uh, catalyst or whatever it is that like says okay I have this want I have to have it met I have to go out and get it and fulfill the want and it's like don't have to either like you can have a want and just bask in the deliciousness of like wow that just that feels really good and just leave it there yeah I mean desire itself is something that's nice you know just like wanting and like <laughs> sitting around like lingering and thinking about something I mean there's there's something really um there's something really satisfying about that that people don't realize is satisfying. <laughs> and just leaving it there and not... The ability to want, you know, is... Go ahead, go ahead. And, and so then maybe you decide to ask somebody and maybe you don't. Um, that's okay to just... And then if you ask and they say no, it's nothing to do with you. They give you really good information. And if you feel like you have the care to say, well, is there anything that you would say yes to? Mm -hmm. Then negotiate something. I mean, it's again, it's a conversation. It's it's not about it's about that relationship, about connection. Um, and we're just in our society, we've just lost on that on the connection piece. So that is what you facilitate, helping people be able to connect with other people more effectively. Wouldn't At you say? At least they they can connect with me. Yeah. And then from there, they can navigate that, in what feels best for them. Uh, fortunately, unfortunately. I've had people tell me that I've ruined them. And this is again going into allowing my, my shadow side of all this. Like, Please. once they learn how to do all these things, it's like, shoot, 
now I'm in a world, I've put them in a place in the world where they're really good communicators, they're acting out of integrity, and like, I'm alone. Because not everybody acts like this. And it's, they're the trailblazers, right? Like, then you pass it on, teach it. Like, if we all start doing this, the world's a better place, but it's like it has to start somewhere. It's, I'm multiplying myself. Um, but it's really scary because they, once they realize how awesome it is, they're like, wow, I don't have to play games anymore. I can just tell somebody what I'm thinking or feeling. You know, we were talking a little bit earlier about um, men and like pickup artists. I was talking about that, about how um, there's complications with how men and women communicate. This is off camera. And uh, there's this book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And in that book, are you familiar with it? It's by Mark Ronson? No, Mark Manson. He talks about how he had taught men for years how to meet women using kind of like these tricks and things like that. And through the process of doing that, he realized that those things worked, but that he wasn't creating genuine relationships with the people that he was meeting and that it was leaving him feeling like really empty. And, uh, you know, you know, essentially now he's in this like fulfilling relationship and, and things like that because he's been honesty. I think there's a, is it radical candor? No, I don't think that's the right word for this. Just radical honesty. Radical honesty. Radical honesty, yeah. Of just like, just really like just being out there. That's really scary to people. It's compromising to you. It's scary to people who don't understand the rules of what that means or, you know, where's this person coming from? Like, how can this person be so upfront? <laughs> um, so I can see how someone, go ahead. There's a tipping point. So okay. I'm gonna use my no, hands here. So like, okay, if you've been in in, in, the, in the lie, I don't know, it's like the social, how we've all lived, right? Yeah, yeah, the social like, face, yeah. Yeah, like, okay, you, you never tell anybody, really feeling, really thinking, you want people to like you, you just you, you follow through with the emotions, right? It's like this, and then as you start to say things, practice cuddle party, or this is who I am, and it's okay for me, and giving yourself permission, at some point you hit this tipping point where so it, it hurts to tell the truth at first, but once you start doing that, at some point, it hurts to tell a lie. Yeah. You can't go back anymore. It's like, oh shit, now I'm on this side. Where are my people? <laughs> the people aren't always there, right? But like, it, you, it, I can't, I personally can't go back. Like there's absolutely no way. It, it physically, viscerally, like in my body, I'm like, oh shit, like no. My body's like, hell no. It feels no. gross. Yeah. It does, like I can't, I just physically can't. And people are like, I can't believe you just said that. I'm like, I cannot not say that. Like, it's like <laughs> that's just, I, <laughs> like, it's impossible. So as you just practice, right? Yeah. So it, it does take practice. It's a reconditioning. It's, you know, like, the, like muscles. Oh my gosh, there's probably so many analogies here with like the yeah. physical body. Once you've trained your muscles certain way, like, Maybe you may lose it, but you're gonna get it back more easily. It's just, it's just the body wants to be healthy. Like the spirit wants to be healthy. The spirit wants to be clear and transparent. It just feels good, like to wake up and be like integrity. It feels good. I never have to tell a lie. No, it's your your life is more f like fluid and comfortable that way, because because we have all. I think all of us, and maybe you're not dealing with that now because of your line of work, but I think most of us have. The lies that we tell ourselves about ourselves, um, 
And you know that could be rooted in negative thoughts that you have about yourself that aren't really all that accurate or positive thoughts that you have about yourself that aren't accurate either and the negative or positive stories that you tell other people, right? And so we're all kind of like constantly playing those games in our lives and um, you know, this isn't to say anything bad about people, that's just what it is, we're writing our story. Right. And, and in the process of that, if you were to eliminate that and just be more real with yourself and start being more real with people, I would imagine that you would feel less tired psychologically. Like your brain would literally feel like <laughs> everything runs more fluidly. Does that make sense? Right. Is that kind of like and, what you're saying and or getting at? So what I would like to tell people, because I, I realize that might be like, ah, oh, panic, I can't do that. Yeah. First, the first thing, this is a coaching thing, is, <laughs> first thing you need to do. She um, does this for a living. I do this. Yeah. <laughs> is find out, okay, so let's figure out what the story is that you've believed and what you've told tell people and how has that served you? Because it does. It's provided great benefits. Like once we can first get honest about the benefits of that story. Yeah. What we, like the, what I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I'm really thinking about this in myself right now. So Like please. how we're projecting in the world yeah. and like how that's served you and then how that's benefited you. And then asking the next question is, is it still serving you? Like, because shit, keep it. You get to choose. Like I'm not mm. asking you to let yeah, it go. Yeah. You don't have to. You don't have to let it go until it no longer serves you. At that point, that's when you need to look at it and go, is this one done? Can I let this one go? And that's when you're right. It's like addiction. Like, you're not going to give it up until you're ready to give it up. Until it no longer serves you. Mm. And each person gets to decide that. It's when you're ready. Hopefully you have enough support in your life and people that love you that if you tell the truth, they're going to stay with you. And so this is kind of like something that you coach people through physically, but also that you coach people through when you're doing a, a talking session. Absolutely. Right? Or even like, cuddling. I mean, cuddling isn't in silence. Like, we're talking and we're sharing life and lots of things come up and I'm like, huh, how's that working for you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they're just like, it's not. And I'm like, hmm, what would you do differently? Hmm. You know? And, hmm. and are you ready to do it? And they're like, I'm not ready. I'm like, it's okay. Versus like therapy, we talked a little bit about therapy where it's like you're just kind of like just hashing constantly, yeah, hashing it out, reliving the story over and over again. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of people who would say that sometimes that's not useful. That's not, yeah. That you're just you know, recapitulating the same shit you've been through over and oh this happened in my childhood and that's why I do this and this happens because of this. Like those are very different approaches. And um, so people need that. I mean, there's yeah. Oh no, there's nothing. Yeah, nothing wrong with that if at that's, all. If you've yeah. never shared your history, your story with somebody. It's awesome. Like it's important to tell somebody like this is what happened to me, and then it's like okay, now what do you want to do about it? You can live that, the choice, or not. Janet, what are some of the other? Do you want to talk about any other services, or is that pretty much good right there? <laughs> We've been talking a while. Um, yes. So I'm a surrogate partner as well. Like oh geez, another thing that like add on to all of this. And that kind of brings all of this together, right? So a surrogate partner is, in this country, we do something called the Tradic model. Because I, I do appreciate counselors and talk therapists and all that, and sexologists as well. They get clients that come in like they want to talk, and they need to. And then they're like, okay, but now they need to actually have the hands-on. Like they need a person that's going to be willing to do the touch because they're not allowed to legally. And so, um, so yeah, I, deal, I deal with clients that get passed on to me that need someone to do the cuddling or, or then we progress that so maybe they need to do different exercises that are called sensate focus 
which is getting the client to really focus on themselves, touch another person for their benefit, for their interests, curiosity, exploration. And then that just progresses little by little, depending on what their needs are. So if they're having intimacy issues, if they're having issues connecting, um, like responding well to other people, if they have anxiety around relationships, if they have even like physical issues like erectile dysfunction um, or any kind of sex, um, something that's not medically. Something psychosomatic. Right, with their genitals or whatnot. Um, then I would come in to like take them through this vigorous process. We slow everything down. We get them connecting with themselves, with their touch, um, seeing like what's going on. And then they, they periodically would reach out to the counselor or the counselor would reach out to them and that dynamic of like, okay, let's, what's going on here? And then I would do the touch and the physical stuff. And, you know, it's controversial because, I mean, there is sexual stuff that can happen, mm -hmm. um, but that's definitely not something that's every client or from the beginning, it, that can be much, much, much later if needed. And again, lots of people may not need that. Yeah. Um, but it's seeing again, the person as a complete person instead of dissecting them and being like only platonic touch. So I, I love that work because each client is its own unique person and I get to see them as that person. Um, and then together we, we figure out like, okay, this is the program and then what do we need to do to adjustments to reach what your needs are. It sounds like it's a much more holistic approach to the mind and dealing with trauma. And it's moving people from point A to point B. Now professional cuddling, I definitely want to make sure I'm clear, is that there is no need to move anywhere. Like it's just about just being present it. and just hanging out. Um, simple, right? Like I'm not doing any therapy, I'm not trying to change you, make you something you don't want to be. Like it's not about that at all. This is like people that are looking like, okay, I need help. Uh, I need support. I need to figure this out and that's what it's there. It's more of an intensive situation, which a lot of people need. I mean intimacy and sex and all that's really confusing and then just as those who are local I have a sexuality group here it's called San Antonio embracing sexuality which is a it's group stuff like I, I host my cuddle party um, in that group and they are on meetup and we also are on MeWe those who uh, know about MeWe it's another social media platform that's on your phone you can download um, and that's been really great for like people looking for this type of experience but group stuff so I I can't help it. All the stuff that you've been hearing is part of what I bring to the group. So we, but it's group interactive, and we're talking about sex. Like there, it's totally open to be yourself. Talk about sex. Talk about whatever. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Awesome. So Janet, I think we're about to wrap it up. Is there any message that you would like for our viewers at home to take away from this today? If it helps, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. face them. Go ahead. <laughs> Alright, um, I'm giving you permission to be you. That it's okay that you are actually perfect as you are and or things are working. I mean, my hope is that things are working for you. If they're not working, you have the power to change them too. But first of all, giving yourself permission to be who you are and that what you want and desire is, is good. It's good. I mean, it's I'm giving you permission to want and to desire things to figure out what that is. And um, I think that's the most important message that people can be themselves. Beautiful, I and, love it. And tell people about who you are. Yay. <laughs> Where can people find you, Janet, online? Uh, so if you're definitely interested in looking at Platonic Touch, um, please come find me on YouTube. I have hundreds of videos at this point there that explain this work. Um, and that's bit.ly forward slash 
YouTube Janet, all in lowercase, if you're looking for a quick link or just look up Janet. It's in, I, I put it in the description section awesome. of this video. All right, cool. Thank yeah. you. Um, and then I'm on Facebook. I mean, I, it's a lot of personal musings and stuff. If you're easily offended, don't go there because <laughs> I just talk about whatever I want. Um, and that's my profile. My page is where I do my live videos and then I post those live videos on YouTube. I'm on Instagram. It's um, at Touches Medicine because my business is Touches Medicine. I am creating a podcast, so that's where the podcast stuff is at. Um, I'm collaborating with a, um, she's a doctorate, she's a doctorate in communication. She's a professor here in San Antonio. And together we're making, having conversations around making touch accessible and smart, right? So we're bringing those two pieces together. So be watching out for a podcast at some point. I'm sure if you're following awesome. me, you'll see about that. Um, yeah, I think that's probably about it. I'm kind of thinking anywhere else. I'm on Patreon. Support me, please. I thought it. <laughs> Sweet. So Patreon, how can people, Patreon slash dot com slash. You know, I should. Oh, it's okay. Me. I'll post it. You just send it to me and I'll post it in the link. But if you just Google me, you'll find all sorts of things. And if you follow any of my YouTube channel, like my descriptions have all that information too. Awesome. And all right, people, that's pretty much it for the Total Body Training Podcast today. Until next time, peace. Bye.